right, well, here we are. Bonjour tout le monde et bienvenue. Welcome online and in person to Concordia University's for Space. We're so glad that you can join us on this beautiful day. I'll quickly remind you that we are streaming to YouTube live from Concordia University's for Space, which is located on unceded indigenous lands here in Jojage, Montreal. And uh, I think to get us rolling on time, I will be passing the floor now to Associate Dean of Research and our host for today, Patrick LaRue, and his special guest joins us, um, Marek Majewski, who will be speaking on his expertise on solar energy conversion. Looking forward to it. Over to you, Patrick. Welcome back. Thanks, Anna. Uh, thank you, everyone, for st still being here. This is the uh, third uh, third hour of uh, science uh, conversations, research and conversation, focusing on uh, on the sciences uh, today. Um, we've had uh, many colleagues from pretty much across the faculty come in and and talk about their research, and I, I've had the great uh, pleasure and privilege. Of, um, of being a student uh, again uh, and learning uh, about all, all, all the interesting things that you're, uh, you're doing. Uh, Marek Majowski is um, an assistant professor uh, in the Department of Chemistry and Biochemistry. Uh, Marek, you, uh, you work on inorganic chemistry, materials engineering, nanotechnology, solar energy research, and, and I'll, I'll have some questions about that in, in a moment, and also light-based chemistry. Um, after a, a BSc in chemistry at the University of Saskatoon, PhD in chemistry as well at UBC, uh, postdoctoral fellow, you were a postdoctoral fellow in solar energy research at Northwestern. Uh, you came to Concordia in 2018, uh, so going on five years. Uh, time, time flies when you're having fun. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. And, and it's, <laughs> it sounds like you've been having a lot of fun, uh, and it's been it's been recognized. Uh, you had the Dean's Award uh, for Excellence in Scholarship last year. Um, you're an active member of, of many research centers, uh, the Center for Nanoscience Research, uh, the Center for Research in Molecular Modeling, uh, as well as the Centre Québécois sur les Matériaux Fonctionnels. Um, so let's, let's, let's start with, um, let's start with an easy one. Okay. Um, can you tell us about your field of research uh, so, so that I can sort of ease my way in? I know that you work on um, uh, light being used as a, as a catalyst for fuel. What does that mean exactly? Yeah, so thank you uh, very much for having me. This is excellent. I'm obviously very excited uh, to be here. So in general, our group, so our group is the Solar Energy Conversion Group in the Department of Chemistry and Biochemistry here at Concordia. And our focus is solar energy conversion. And a lot of times when we talk about solar energy conversion, people kind of picture uh, solar panels. And right. that's more in the realm of what we call solar electricity. So we're using sunlight to generate uh, charge uh, and to drive a current and to power whatever electronics we need to power or electrical systems. So our group works on solar energy conversion, but we work on something a little bit different. So what we're uh, specifically interested in is we're taking the energy from the sun and we want to store it in chemical bonds. And so uh, we're really interested in driving these types of processes that we call fuel forming processes. And one that people are very familiar with is taking water, splitting it into its constituent parts, which are of course, hydrogen and oxygen, and then using those parts as fuels. So we know, of course, hydrogen is an excellent green fuel. And one of uh, 
the goals of solar fuels research is to use energy from the sun to drive that process of splitting water into hydrogen and oxygen. So we need a lot of energy to do that, but then we get a lot of energy back from those fuels we generate. And specifically, our group is really interested in designing the materials and the molecules that drive those light capture and conversion processes, specifically in this realm of making these fuels. Hmm. And how, how do you store these fuels? I, I, I understand the principle and um, you, you store it through water, through the creation of hydrogen. How, how stable is hydrogen once you, once you store it? Yeah, uh, are those some of the questions that uh, I guess they're downstream? Right, uh, right. No, of course, but these are all very important questions. And so, of course, one of the big issues, uh, you know, with using these fuels like hydrogen is how do we translate them to our existing infrastructure? And hydrogen is, of course, a gas and we're much more uh, uh, equipped to deal with liquid fuels. And mm -hmm. so transitioning all our existing infrastructure to fuels which aren't liquids like hydrogen is very challenging. And right. so there are certainly people working on that. For us, for our research specifically, uh, we're not so much uh, concerned about that. Uh, what we're actually even more interested in is driving these same reactions. So hydrogen is just one example, but we're interested in driving these reactions where we can actually generate liquid fuels. So hmm. another example of that is if we can take carbon dioxide and okay. we can use sunlight to reduce that carbon dioxide into some sort of fusel alcohol. So for example, can we take uh, sunlight and use its energy to convert CO2 carbon dioxide into ethanol, for example, and then we right. can use ethanol as the fuel. And because it's already a liquid, it's a lot easier for us uh, to deal with. Now, kind of a second aspect of what we're really interested in is this is the idea of solar fuels that I'm talking about. But one other thing that's really important, we think, is using sunlight to drive other chemical transformations, which don't necessarily give us fuels, but they generate molecules of great importance. So we can use the same chemistry that we use to generate solar fuels, but we can use that chemistry actually to drive processes to make molecules that we can use in pharmaceuticals. So for example, what we call pharmacophores, so the active components of drugs. And uh, these sorts of chemical transformations are very challenging to do in general. And using the sun's energy, we can simplify some of these processes or access more challenging uh, chemistry. So that's another aspect of where we can apply this chemistry where it's not just purely fuels. Right, so you're doing this in a lab setting, so it's a very controlled set, setting. Um, <clears throat> eventually, this needs to translate in industrial terms for it to be viable, of obviously. Course, so yeah. so you have, it's uh, another conversation that comes afterwards. Um, I'm wondering, how, how much energy does it require uh, to, to transform, uh, to, to create these solar fuels, as opposed to, for instance, you, you, you clearly differentiated uh, the, the solar panel technology, which, which is more, right. uh, I guess, me mechanical, I and mean, you, create, you create electricity, and then you've got this, this, this other technology where you basically, you need a lot of energy to create ener uh, uh, storable energy. Right. What is the ratio, and, and is it worth it ultimately? Yeah, well, so I mean, that's, uh, you know, there's a, a very challenging uh, physical chemistry discussion to right. be had there but uh you know the in the the kind of perfect world what can we what we can imagine is we're putting in to split water we're putting in the exact amount of energy 
that we'll get back when we burn the hydrogen. So okay. that all depends on the efficiency of the materials that we design in our lab to convert that sunlight into right. those fuels. And so that's obviously one of the major goals of the work we're doing is to study the processes that happen at the atomic level so that we can maximize that efficiency. So we're capturing just the right amount of energy we need mm -hmm. to transform whatever our, our starting material is, so our water or carbon dioxide, into a fuel with no need to input an overage of energy. Right, and the initial yeah. energy is there. It's not being wasted, it's not being used. That's but, right, exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of times we lose that energy, you know, if we design inefficient processes, we yeah. lose that energy as heat or other mm -hmm. uh, complementary processes. So one of our goals, of course, when we're drive, are, are designing molecules and materials for these processes to, is to really optimize the efficiency okay. of them. And we do that by really understanding uh, kind of the fundamental chemistry processes happening at the atomic level. Right. And you mentioned two fuels, hydrogen and yeah. ethanol. Yeah. Are there other un unexpected fuels that you've, you've been working with? <laughs> well, well, they're not all unexpected. We have, yeah. we have a wide breadth of, of targets, uh, and these are all challenging uh, processes. And actually splitting water into hydrogen and oxygen is one of the simplest of these mm -hmm. processes. As you want to make more complicated products or fuels, it becomes more challenging both from an energy input standpoint as well as the chemistry that has, has to happen. But one of our complementary uh, research thrusts is to take nitrogen, so just dinitrogen, which is a very inert molecule and convert it into ammonia. <laughs> and ammonia in itself can be used as a fuel, but it's also a great way to store hydrogen as a liquid because of course ammonia we can liquefy ammonia a lot more easily than we can liquefy a gas like hydrogen, for example. So that's right. uh, kind of a tangentially but also related uh, target for our research. And this fits within the current uh, liquid fuel infrastructure. That's the right. World. Yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And the idea there, too, is like I said, you know, you mentioned storage of, of something like dihydrogen. Uh, you can store it, store it in ammonia, and then you can take ammonia and, and crack it to release mm -hmm. the hydrogen uh, as well as nitrogen gas. So that's the kind of uh, complementary process uh, to all these other ones that we're talking about. So I'm seeing multiple implications in what you're doing and, and uh, multiple interlocutors. Uh, who are some of the people you're, you're, you're speaking to? I imagine engineers, I imagine yeah. uh, physicists. So tell us about how, how their influence, uh, how they influence your, your research design and also what they might be suggesting in terms of uh, possible outcomes. Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, obviously everything we're doing in our lab is, is very fundamental. Uh, so we're really trying to understand these processes at their most fundamental level so that we can inform the design of future materials. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is our goal is always to take this beyond the bench and to, to try to um, you know, contribute to the mosaic of alternative energy. Right. Uh, and so we, we do work collaboratively with uh, colleagues, both at Concordia uh, within the centers that you mentioned uh, in the introduction, Specifically, uh, I have collaborative projects currently in the new chemical and materials engineering department. So those, that's a very important avenue for us to be able to take our fundamental studies and start thinking about how we can translate them, obviously, to pilot and, and larger scale. Uh, but we do also work together very closely with physicists. We work together with people who are involved with studying our materials. 
using spectroscopy, for example, so very advanced uh, characterization techniques so that we can really get the most accurate insight into what's happening uh, in these materials when they absorb sunlight. So we do work together, uh, as my colleague Jean Ming was mentioning in his conversation, uh, it's a very interdisciplinary uh, area of research. And mm -hmm. so we bridge the gap between our knowledge and the knowledge of others through uh, extensive collaboration. Right, and we, we had mentioned uh, uh, Zhang Ming's uh, lab with the tire and the, yeah, the multiple yeah, yeah. projects. And, <laughs> and, 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 I, and I, I remember very clearly walking into your lab as well this, uh, this fall. Um, and, and it's basically uh, like an open space, right? You, you, you have so many, uh, so many colleagues are working on their own research within the same space. So could you tell us a bit about, well, you're in the science hub. Yep. Tell us how this works. Uh, how, how do yep. you carve space for yourself in that environment? What possible uh, cross-contamination in, in the noble sense of the term uh, <laughs> can be happening? Yeah. yeah, no, so we're very fortunate because our group is currently housed at the new Applied Science Hub over at the Loyola campus, which is a, a beautiful, it's a really beautiful space, beautiful modern uh, lab. And we benefit a lot from having a shared uh, space together with a number of our colleagues in the Center for Nanoscience Research. So specifically, our lab is in a large uh, open lab space, which is what you saw uh, shared together with uh, professors Howarth, Nakash, and Capobianco. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of this is that all of these researchers are working on, on very different uh, topics. And uh, what happens is we have this kind of informal setting where uh, the, the researchers working in our labs get to uh, cross-contaminate <laughs> or cross-pollinate yeah, or, or uh, where they get to uh, uh, discuss their own research together. And I think the beauty of this is what we find is that a lot of the, the fundamental processes that we're studying translate across these different research fields. And so these researchers get to benefit from the perspective of others who are working mm -hmm. on completely unrelated problems, but bring a very different uh, conceptual perspective to the problems that we're working on. So there's a lot of informal uh, interactions that are happening. It's actually, it's, it's quite nice to see. And there are relationships that are formed because of this, uh, scientific relationships that I think will carry and generate a lot of new ideas. Hmm. And the, these informal relationships, are they happening mostly through the students uh, running the, the experiments in the lab and then you know bringing this to professors? Or is it also happening at a more formal uh, level where you, you sort of present each other's work uh, on a regular basis within, within the uh, research center? Yeah, so our, our research center is, uh, well, first of all, it's it's composed of a lot of individuals doing some really amazing research. So uh, I think it is very important for us to interact and discuss our research and our and our center leadership is currently working on setting up and coordinating a uh, kind of center research day where we can, mm -hmm. in a more formal setting, communicate all of our research to our colleagues so that we can really look at the, the kind of nuts and bolts of what everything is everybody is doing and discuss it. Uh, and see if there are potential collaborations that we can build on. So this is certainly something that we're uh, trying to put in place. Right. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned earlier that the um, chemical engineering uh, colleagues are also uh, very much involved with, with, with your research. I think they're physically out there as well, right, <laughs> at, at Loyola? So, That's right. Yeah, yeah. How, how does that work? Uh, well, it's, it's actually a wonderful uh, byproduct of the design of that science hub. So we... 
so we occupy a floor of the building and the chemical and materials engineering department occupies the floor below ours. So right. as you can imagine, uh, first of all, this really opens the door to close collaboration just spatially mm -hmm. uh, so we can benefit from each other's resources. Uh, but again, the same sort of kind of informal interaction that happens within our open lab can happen between researchers working across disciplines uh, this way. And this is one of the main reasons why we chose to collaborate with, with uh, researchers in that new department as well. Right. You, you mentioned earlier the, um, the sort of happy byproducts of, of some of the uh, uh, fuel or solar conversion into yeah. fuels, um, and, and I want to come back to that, the, the, the idea of uh, uh, molecules being interesting for pharmaceuticals. So, so this is, um, you, you've seen this in your lab, or you, this is happening here at Concordia, or, or we know about it elsewhere? No, it's happening at Concordia. So right. we, in fact, our lab has even uh, published work on driving uh, the formation of some of these, uh, what we call pharmacophores, using the same uh, device architectures that we use to generate solar fuels. We can use that exact same chemistry actually to drive uh, chemical transformations where we can generate these molecules, which are not fuels, but mm -hmm. they're useful molecules in other uh, arenas. Right. So these are molecules that are byproducts, um, and would harvesting those molecules for for further use um, could, could that be integrated into a fuel into a fuel system? Uh, well, absolutely. And Still so, popping planes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, no. I mean, this is this is actually a very important uh, observation because uh, you know we're putting a lot of emphasis right now on decarbonizing our economy and our overall societal reliance on carbon-based fuels. And obviously this is uh, crucial, it's long overdue, uh, but one of the, the side effects of this that I don't think people think about is that we rely on, a lot of our industry relies on byproducts from oil and gas for the manufacture of consumer goods, as well as anything you can think of. So really, you know, there are maybe um, five to 10 kind of raw resources that we then transform into intermediates that we then transform into uh, chemicals that we use to build everything that you see in front of you, pick anything. And so one of the realities, if we decrease our oil and gas exploitation, as we should and as we're planning, is that we're going to have to find different ways to make these and manufacture these chemical intermediates. And so this is where this type of chemistry really plays a role, is now we can use solar harvesting to refine uh, some of these raw materials to generate these chemical intermediates that then we can take and build uh, whatever our consumer good or our pharmaceutical or whatever that we right. need. So a very important part of the decarbonization conversation is, is how do we generate these intermediate chemicals that we need uh, to generate whatever products we need. And this is one place where we're trying to really insert our expertise. It's fascinating. Yeah. Are there uh, car carbon alternatives, for instance, for, for plastics or, or for, for all of these materials you're, you're alluding to that, that, that come from, uh, from fuels, essentially carbon-based fuel? Uh, do we have those alternatives yet? Are we, are we looking into it? Well, I mean, there are, there are many people doing really, really wonderful research on uh, replacing plastics mm -hmm. with uh, biodegradable or right. bio-based uh, products. So. Certainly the technology is there. There's, there's an argument for some maturation that needs to happen, but mm. there's no real reason why uh, we can't 
generate alternatives at this point. Right. Yeah. Recently, there was an article on, on your research in the, the Concordia Alumni uh, uh, magazine, which uh, what, what was uh, happened to be on an ambassador's uh, uh, desk one day. Uh, so, so we we ultimately uh, had uh, five Nordic ambassadors uh, coming to Concordia, and and they went through you, and, and uh, you you had the um, the foresight, and I, I think the openness of of, of reaching out. And wanting to make sure that they spoke to as many as many colleagues as possible, um, do you want to tell us a bit about this and like what were they interested in? What did they come for, and what, what do you think they they, they got from uh, meeting, uh, meeting? Yeah, us I here? mean this this was a, a, a really exceptional event. It was actually a very uh, it was really cool. Yeah, uh, was, yeah. for, for for sure one of uh, the more exciting things that's happened to me in the time that I've 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 been here, but. Uh, we, we had uh, been asked for a comment for an article about the renewable revolution in Concordia University magazine. And it caught the eye of uh, one of the advisors for uh, the ambassador to Iceland. Uh, and it turned out that uh, they were coming, the Nordic ambassadors were gonna be on a visit to Montreal and they wanted to come to Concordia to discuss sustainability science. Mm -hmm. And so they reached out uh, to myself as well as a few of the colleagues who were in uh, the article. And, and I immediately jumped on the opportunity and I said, of course, uh, come visit us. There's amazing sustainability science happening at Concordia. And so uh, with, with uh, your, your support and your office's support, we were able to host uh, the Nordic ambassadors here at Concordia. And uh, they came uh, to discuss uh, some of the sustainability initiatives that they have in their respective countries, which are all... Mm -hmm extremely impressive uh, and there's a lot that we can learn from them uh, but they were especially interested in what we're doing uh, here at Concordia and I think certainly we left a, an impression on them both from the applied and the fundamental side uh, uh, what we're doing and what we're really looking for is potential links but we're also looking to see what works uh, what things work that they're doing and how can we translate them to what we're doing and they're looking to see what we're doing and how they can translate it uh, to what they're doing. And I think probably one of the most interesting outcomes of all of this for me, uh, beyond obviously meeting these uh, uh, very influential individuals and, and hearing about what the Nordic countries are doing, is that I was able to connect with some of the sustainability community here at Concordia, right. which is extremely extensive, bridges faculties, and there are some people doing some amazing sustainability science. We certainly have a critical mass uh, for here at Concordia and having everybody in the same room together with these uh, individuals really served to highlight uh, how much of this really amazing science is happening there. It was it was a truly uh, fascinating moment where we had engineers, uh, scientists, you know, natural scientists, sciences, social science, yes. sciences as well, uh, colleagues from JMS Business yeah. School. Yeah. Uh, someone from journalism, yeah, yeah, uh, and, and this conversation actually was uh, was happening, uh, prompted by their their presence. But they also they also provoked us a bit. Right? They came <laughs> they in did. with a statement and yes, they said, here, yeah. "Here is how our five countries position themselves uh, uh, with regards to sustainability goals. Yeah. Um, we'd like to know what you're what you're doing, and and perhaps." Uh, Perhaps you can do better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I think, clear, yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that was really emphasized in this meeting was, uh, you know, they have so many collaborative initiatives, they're mm -hmm. cross national initiatives, and they're really tackling 
what is really a grand challenge, they're tackling it in a very unified fashion mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, very assertively as well. So I, I think, you know, there's a lot uh, to be learned from their approach, but I think it also did, you know, their kind of engagement with what we were talking about, I think also highlights that we're doing some really good stuff here as well too. And so I think we need to continue on that road and continue mm-hmm. to look for ways uh, to work on this grand challenge uh, more collectively, right? So this isn't, this is this idea of addressing climate change. Uh, you know, this isn't a one person event, right? This, this needs to be a collective uh, uh, grand challenge that's met by all the researchers and politicians and policymakers. Uh, and everybody needs to work on this together. We all need to pull in the same direction. And I think that's that was certainly one of the things that was emphasized by this meeting as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it was it was interesting and a, yeah. a mixture of you know politics and policy and science yeah, yeah, happening yeah, at, yeah, at, at yeah, once. Yeah. Um, yesterday, the federal government uh, yes. uh, just just yeah. uh, announced its uh, its budget, and there, there's a massive. Uh, uh, investment in, uh, I guess, what we could call the the electrification of yeah. society. How how does your uh, research fit into this? Because you're not talking about electrification. Here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're talking about the conversion of of, of solar yeah. power, yeah. solar yeah. energy, uh, into fuels. How how do you navigate this, and and where do you find your place also in these new these new frameworks? Right. Yeah. Like, is electrification the only framework we can think within, or, or are there others as well? No, and I mean, I think you see that in the federal budget as well. So a major component of the federal budget, uh, you know, were tax initiatives for actually green hydrogen right. and green ammonia, actually. Um, and and I think, you know, it's, it's pretty clear that our current federal government is betting big on the hydrogen economy, not okay. just on electrification. But both of these, these, these things go hand in hand, uh, you know, so we can envision uh, you know, kind of a future where both solar electrification is working together with this solar fuels process, because ultimately there's a lot of fundamental overlap there. So I think, you know, we fit very well in this framework, you know, and we're not specifically working on green hydrogen all the time, but, you know, the processes are similar. We're very interested in ammonia. And, uh, you know, I think there needs to continue to be this uh, investment in the R&D for these technologies. So mm-hmm. I think this is a very nice thing to see in the in the budget. Yeah. Right. What, what stimulates you uh, the most in terms of research? Oh. What kind of interactions? What kind of problems? What kind of yeah. comments or, or requests? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, at the at the heart of it, I, I just think science is really cool. So I, I you know, I, I I am extremely uh, fascinated by this idea of making and breaking bonds because this mm. is, you know. It's a problem that we can't see with our eyeballs, but it's, it's you know, this incredible fundamental phenomenon. Uh, so at the, at the core of it, I mean, I just think science is really cool, truthfully, but, but uh, I am also a, a huge outdoors person. I like being outside and, uh, you know, I think protecting the natural world and protecting our environment is ex- exceedingly impo- important. So, and I think, you know, science, even fundamental science has a huge role to play in this. And so... Uh, you know, from a really practical standpoint, I guess I love going canoeing. I love being outside and I want to make sure that I can continue to do that for as long as possible. I want to make sure that the next generations can experience uh, this as well. 
Right. And yeah. speaking of next generations, you, you have students in your lab. <laughs> I do. Uh, yeah. What are some of the uh, concerns or questions, uh, d desires as well that they, they're expressing in terms of research? And how are they pushing you? Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, they, they push me in all sorts of different ways. I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, very exciting to work uh, with, with people who are also very dedicated and invested in, in uh, this topic and I think one of the things that's really important is that we keep looking at the big picture because we often focus in on very uh, narrow fundamental processes. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but yeah, I, I'm very fortunate to work with a group of students uh, here who uh, also are very interested in this type of science and interested in the same things that I'm interested in. And uh, there are very simple interactions that often uh, get me really uh, kind of get me going. You know, they send me new articles on new science that has just come out, which is related to ours. And then we immediately start asking, why can't we, or how can we apply our uh, knowledge to this problem that they're talking about? So that's just an example of a very uh, kind of basic, but mm -hmm. routine interaction that we have. Yeah. Right. And how do you, how do you manage, I guess, uh, to, to keep up with the ever evolving, ever changing science? Uh, it's a challenge, yeah. <laughs> but again, so actually that's a, that's a great question. I mean, for me, sometimes it's about carving out time and making sure that I, I put everything else aside and I spend a little bit of time with the literature and with the news and see, see what's going on. Uh, but I do actually rely a lot on my colleagues and I do rely on, on the researchers who work in our lab uh, to, to also kind of keep me up to date and, you know, they're uh, very focused on their specific topics, which are quite broad. And uh, they often are the ones that are, are keeping me on my toes and keeping me fully uh, updated on what the latest advances are in our field. Right. Yeah. And, and when you sort of project yourself in the future, uh, where, where would you like to be? Uh, where would you, your research, where would you want your research to be in, in five to 10 years? Oh, well, I, mean, I, have a lot of, I have a lot of dreams in this, yeah. in this regard, but uh, you know, there's some very crucial problems that we're trying to solve. And I, and I think, uh, what would be really, really cool for us to see is to see one of our devices or one of our materials being used on a larger scale. So potentially in a pilot facility, uh, potentially for green fuel or one of these other uh, chemical transformations uh, that we've been talking about. So seeing it go beyond the bench, I think, would be really, really magical. Right. So what is needed uh, for you to, to get there? Yeah, well, we so luckily we do uh, have good collaborations that I think can take us there. We're always looking for industrial partners as well, who uh, we can kind of get a, a good feeling for what their exact needs are to take something from the lab and to apply it in their uh, processes. So I think uh, um, either a, a specific industrial partner or a collaborative industrial partner would be uh, particularly beneficial for us. And we're actively uh, looking for opportunities to work with uh, people both in Canada but abroad as well. Right. Yeah. We we know, for instance, uh, Bombardier is working on yes, like, hydrogen yeah, yeah, uh, fuel yeah, planes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so how 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 would you how would you uh, broach that possible partnership, for instance, because they probably have their own teams working on this. Yeah. Uh, uh, how, how do you do this? Yeah, well, we, so, you know, we would look for if there's a specific uh, part of this technology that they're using uh, that maybe isn't as uh, effective or efficient as it could be, and how can we insert our knowledge uh, to repair that part of the process, to get them to where they need to be, to be fully applicable, I guess. So right. we, 
we have excellent fundamental knowledge in these, uh, as I keep saying, the chemistry that's happening at the atomic level. Mm -hmm. And so how can we translate that to their process and specifically how can we use it to upgrade parts of their process so that they can kind of get the max return on their, uh, you know, on what they're doing. I guess I've been insisting on the practical applications. Yes, yeah, and yeah. Uh, if we if we sort of switch this around, and um, what 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 are you learning in the fundamental science side of things from these 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 various uh, requests, demands, and, and societal needs? Yeah, uh, I mean, well, so you know, at the, at the very basic level, one of the things that we're really interested in is what happens to molecules uh, when they absorb light energy. So, mm -hmm. what happens to a molecule when? It absorbs a photon of light from the sun. And then uh, if we can follow that process of what's happening in that molecule once it absorbs that light energy, we can translate that uh, to then, uh, you know, a device. So we can, okay. we, once we understand what the molecule is doing, we can translate that to how we can optimize a device that absorbs sunlight and then drives one of these uh, fuel forming processes. So uh, for us, what's really interesting is to see how molecules and materials behave once they absorb this massive amount of energy from the sun. And there's various transformations, structural, and there's also electronic transformations that happen that we're really interested in probing. Right. And do you conceive of and build those devices? And what do you mean by device? <laughs> yeah, so, well, to be extremely specific, I mean, we build uh, what are known as photoelectrodes. Okay. So we build them on a lab scale. So they're, they're about one centimeter by two centimeters. And what they have is an active layer of material on them that absorbs light. And on that surface where that light is absorbed, that's where all the chemical transformations happen, okay. where the fuel is generated. So we do make those in our lab. They're a very crude approximation of what an actual uh, uh, commercial device would look like. Mm -hmm. But the fundamental processes are going to be the same, whether it's on our tiny device or on a larger device. It's just then it becomes a problem of how do we translate what we know about the tiny device to the big device. Right. right. And yeah. this is where you need partners. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And are those partners generally aware that this is something they should be looking into? <laughs> yes, no, of course, there's a wide breadth of people yeah. uh, working on this problem for, from uh, many different angles. Uh, and I think the stuff that we're working on is, is going to be applicable in very specific uh, processes. So, you know, we, we're looking for a partner that's interested in those processes as well. Now, this is absolutely fascinating. I'm, I'm learning so much from, uh, from, 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 from you and from, from the research you're doing. Um, if, if I were to, I guess, well, so we talked about the uh, processes, we talked about the issues. Um, I'm curious to know about your, your, your um, I guess your experience as a researcher also. Uh, it seems like you've been tap, you know, tapping into the various resources that are available, available to you. Uh, you're involved in the... Um, uh, Nanosciences uh, uh, Research Center very, very actively. You're reaching out to colleagues in other departments and other faculties. Um, how, how, what, what are the opportunities? What are the concrete uh, challenges, but also opportuni opportunities that you're uh, facing uh, in, in your lab and your research here? Yeah, I mean, we, um, uh, well, there's, there's a number of challenges that we're facing. I, I, in, in general, in terms of opportunities, I mean, I think uh, one of the really beautiful things ties back to everything that we've talked talked about so far is that, you know, people have realized that this is a collaborative problem and it needs to be addressed 
uh, from all sorts of different uh, perspectives and different scientific perspectives. So there's a big drive to do collaborative science. And we see that at the federal level in Canada as well, mm -hmm. too. So there's a lot of financial support for partnerships between academia and industry. And this is, of course, really exciting because it should hypothetically help us translate what we do on the fundamental level mm -hmm. to the more practical uh, level. In practice, it's a little bit more challenging because as we've been talking about, you need to find a, a partner uh, that you can work together with. Uh, so this is something that's particularly important, I think. Uh, you know, we have this uh, uh, interesting and, and very um, exciting and invigorating community here in Montreal. So there are a lot of researchers across a lot of institutions working on this problem and similar problems. Uh, so there's a lot of crosstalk between the different institutions here as well. And for me, that's been one particularly um, uh, engaging part of being in Montreal is being in this broader community. Uh, so we have a lot more support uh, in our specific science as well. Too. Right. And Across the four universities. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so, you know, there are resources that other universities have that we don't have and that we have that they don't have. And it's a very open community in terms of sharing that, that you know, both uh, ideas and sharing, uh, uh, you know, concrete practical resources like instruments, for mm -hmm. example. And so as a researcher, that's, that's particularly valuable because we get to kind of ma maximize our own resources by taking advantage of everything that's around us as well, too. So we can really focus on specific things that we need to improve and, and uh, work together with others on other things. Right, and, and you mentioned this uh, this push towards interdisciplinarity, which I, which I think is extraordinarily healthy. But how how do you negotiate uh, the, the the real need for for time and effort and and, and uh, investment in in the fundamental the fundamental science side of things, and this uh, this desire and push towards more interdisciplinary connections? Right, yeah. uh, there's time is finite. Yeah, no, um, for sure. So yeah. how 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 do we do this? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, you know, there's, there's, uh, so I agree with you, our time is constantly getting chopped up and we have less and less time for these sorts of interactions, but I think it's very important uh, to look at events, both regional and national events, where we can connect with fellow researchers and people working on similar problems. And, you know, a lot of it comes over a kind of almost informal discussion where you mm -hmm. see somebody that you know is working on something that's related or tangentially related uh, to what you're working on. And then it becomes a question of, you know, hey, this is a really interesting thing that you're doing that could really augment what we're doing. And then from there, what, what can we do? And then this is where you start looking at other supports, so institutional and federal support, financial mm -hmm. support to kind of build uh, these, these sorts of connections. Right, so not necessarily conducting research side by side on, on every front, but right. finding opportunities That's for, right. for the, those connections to happen, yeah. for opportunities to, to learn from each other. Yeah, and also translating what we know to, to, to uh, you know, other fields is very important as well. Right. So we were uh, last year awarded a, a NOVA grant uh, from NSERC and FRQNT, and this yeah. is a collaborative grant where I'm working together with researchers at INRS here in, in Montreal, specifically with Annie Castange, and a researcher at McMaster University in Hamilton. And we're translating what we know about uh, the materials that we make that capture light, and we're translating that to biosensors now. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing is we're using the same sort of chemistry that we use for fuel forming processes. We're actually using that to detect biomarkers and disease biomarkers in devices that don't generate fuels, but translate those same fundamental processes to something where uh, we can use this in a whole completely different realm. 
so that's another, I think, very important aspect of, of what we're doing is looking for ways to translate our knowledge to other problems as well. Mm. Yeah. Three hours ago, I started the day in conversation <laughs> with yeah. uh, a colleague, Dr. Gauthier, uh, who was talking about bio biomarkers. Ah, there you go. You've, you've come you've full circle. Us, you've brought us back. <laughs> um, I, yeah. I want to th thank you for this conversation. Uh, you, you've been extraordinarily generous and clear in, in, in presenting the research you do and, and uh, uh, translating its, uh, its fundamental importance. Uh, I, I'm exciting to, excited to see what's uh, going to come out of it. Thank you so much for your time and the conversation. Uh, I'm really looking forward to finding out more about your research. We'll keep in touch. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. If you have an idea for a podcast, please let us know. You can contact us by email at info.for at concordia.ca or find us on social media at cu4thspace. All social media is managed by Jacqueline Wexler. This episode of the Fourth Space podcast is hosted by me, Maximus Delmar, and produced by Anna Vaklavec and Douglas Moffat. Editing by myself, Douglas Moffat, and Chanel Lees Marshall. Additional thanks to Supercontinent for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening.